Hi, and welcome to the first episode of Property Legal 101, a weekly podcast where I will discuss, simplify and explain different legal topics in relation to property transactions in England and Wales, so that you can approach your own property projects with more confidence and communicate more effectively with your solicitor. In this first episode, I'll be giving you 10 hints and tips on things to consider when deciding on which law firm to instruct, and also how to have a more effective working relationship with your solicitor. But before we get onto that, let me do a quick introduction and briefly explain the reasons why I'm doing this and what I'm hoping to achieve with this podcast series. My name is Josh Yam, an associate partner at Spencer West LLP. I have eight years experience in residential convincing and four years experience specializing in assisting high net worth individuals on a full range of new build and secondhand residential property transactions, particularly in London. Explaining and helping my clients to understand the property legal system of England and Wales in a clear and simple manner is a part of what I do daily. So whilst there are a lot of different resources available on the internet in the form of discussion forums and articles, this podcast will hopefully be another alternative and useful addition. Something that you can easily pick up and listen to wherever and whenever you want without too much of a commitment. For any trainees, paralegals or law students who may be listening, I hope my podcast will be a useful introduction for you to some of the basics of conveyancing, but it will definitely not be an A to Z lecture on everything you need to know. And for listeners who are looking to begin or already in the middle of their property journey, hopefully this podcast will help you understand a bit more about what is going on legally. However, needless to say, every property transaction is different, and issues which may arise during the course of each transaction will also vary and can be complex at times. This podcast is not designed to be a self-help kit or to cover all scenarios in a one-size-fits-all manner. So if you do have any particular questions or concerns on your purchase or sale, it is important always to raise these to your solicitor and to take their advice. I am currently targeting the length of each episode to be around 10 to 15 minutes long, so this week's episode is longer than expected. This is partly because of this introduction, but also because some of the points I'll be discussing had a lot more content to them than I thought. Going forward, future episodes will hopefully not always be this long, but having said this, I will not be limiting myself in terms of length for now if I feel I have relevant and helpful content that merits the time. If episodes are too long, I will explore other ways to make each episode more accessible, such as providing timestamps. Now that I've gotten the introductions out of the way, let's crack on with our topic for today. 10 hints and tips on choosing a law firm to instruct and having a more effective working relationship with your solicitor. With so many different law firms in the market, finding the right firm could seem like a daunting task, as a wrong choice could very often lead to a very stressful experience for all parties concerned. Unfortunately, there are no magic formulas that I can offer, and it will often be a case of learning by experience when it comes to finding a solicitor you're comfortable with. For the majority of people, they will rely on recommendations from friends and family or agents and brokers. However, even with a recommendation, I have known of many occasions where the working relationship still somehow doesn't work out. So why is this, and what can you do to try and minimise the risk of this happening? Here are my 10 hints and tips to hopefully help. Number 1. Don't just choose the cheapest option. From my experience, most clients look at three main criteria when choosing a firm. Responsiveness, expertise and cost. Now, law firms are businesses too 
So generally, smaller law firms with lower overheads will be able to offer lower fees and vice versa. However, out of the three criteria are highlighted, the other two will be bigger potential pain points going forward. So whilst I'm in no way saying you should not choose the smaller or cheaper law firm because there will be good solicitors at any firm, what I am saying is to make sure you do it for the right reasons and not just because they are cheaper. I firmly believe that it will be worth the extra legal fee if this means you are paying for better relevant expertise or a better client care experience. Number two, make sure you are clear on the legal fees being charged. Every law firm will have a different fee structure, so it's important that you understand fully what the firm you're choosing will be charging you to avoid any nasty surprises when it comes to paying. For example, typically on a purchase, a law firm will charge one legal fee for the conveyancing work they do and an additional and separate legal fee if you'll be completing with a mortgage to deal with the legal work to secure your mortgage drawdown. This separate mortgage legal fee will often be dependent on who your chosen lender is. I say typically, because I have known certain firms that do structure this differently and charge everything, convincing and mortgage legal fee, as a single item. Whilst there is nothing wrong with either methods, as you can imagine, depending on the way that your firm structures their legal fees, what may appear as a cheaper option initially may actually turn out to be the reverse if you haven't taken into account the mortgage side of things. Also, for new build transactions where exchange of contract and final completion may be at least six months apart, Firms will typically invoice part of the conveyancing legal fee at exchange and the rest on completion. In this case, make sure that you are aware of how your chosen firm will be invoicing their fees and when you will be expected to pay. Now, on the point of legal fees, I feel I should quickly clarify a common misunderstanding amongst clients between legal fees and disbursements. With any property transaction, there will be certain tasks that your solicitor will need to do on your behalf, but which they cannot undertake themselves such as property searches on a purchase or obtaining a leasehold management information pack on a leasehold sale. These tasks will need to be done by a third party and the fee which these third parties charge for their service are classified as disbursements. These disbursements will be shown on your solicitor's financial statement as your solicitor will settle these on your behalf with the third party provider. But it is important to understand that these are not the same as legal fees. We'll be exploring disbursements in more detail in later episodes, so I'll leave this point here for now. Number three, ask about a firm's response policy. This again will vary from firm to firm, but with an increased focus on client care over the last few years, the majority of firms will now have a client care policy specifically in relation to response times to client inquiries. In my last firm, for example, an established Mayfair law firm, we had a policy of replying to all client emails within 24 hours of receipt. There is nothing more frustrating than sending an email and not receiving a response within a timeframe you expect or feeling as though your email is being ignored. As such, make sure to squash this potential pain point before engaging with a new law firm and ensure that there is a mutual understanding right from the start. Number four, don't assume expertise. This point is more relevant in relation to new build and secondhand purchases. When I say new build, I am referring to properties that are in the process of construction at the time of exchange of contract, where you would typically be purchasing directly from a developer rather than an individual seller, and where final completion is at least six months from exchange. Secondhand property transactions are the bread and butter of residential conveyancing. 
so I would like to think that you'll be hard-pressed to find a solicitor practicing in this field who does not have at least a competent level of expertise with this. However, the same I feel is not necessarily true in relation to new-build properties. Whilst the basic structure of the transaction remains the same, there are substantial technical and practical differences between the two. As such, if you have been using a solicitor to date for your second-hand property conveyancing work, and you are now looking to buy a new-build property, I would caution against assuming expertise. Have a look at the solicitor's profile, or ask him or her directly whether they have had any experience dealing with new builds. You may ask at this point whether it will actually make that much of a difference, or whether I am making a fuss out of a relatively minor point here. Well, my personal opinion is that this could have a potentially large impact for you. In a perfect straightforward transaction, a conveyancing solicitor's presence will not necessarily be noticeable to the uninitiated, and we would do our job efficiently and quietly in the background. However, where you will really notice a difference is when things don't go smoothly, and this is where a conveyancing solicitor really earns their money. In a new build property transaction, which could last a couple of years from start to finish, you can imagine, especially with what we have experienced in recent times, that there can be quite a number of unexpected things that can go wrong. As with any area of law, there are practical solutions and subtleties which cannot learn from a textbook. So, if a solicitor does not have actual working experience in this area, it may affect their ability to look after interest in certain situations, and as I said, especially when things don't go according to plan. As such, if you are looking to purchase a new build property for the first time, do make sure you do your research on the firm, and also the solicitor who you'll be instructing. Number 5. Be wary of too-good-to-be-true deals. This one is a bit cheeky and off-topic, and it's more of a lead-on from number 4 in relation to new build developments. I am not talking here about large developments you would find in London, for example those headed by established or reputable developers, such as Ballymore or Galliard Homes, but for the smaller developments outside of London being done by lesser-known developers. With any new build development, developers may offer purchasers certain incentives when purchasing. The common ones you find with London developments could be contributions towards stamp duty payment or contributions towards legal fees. However, I have seen especially with smaller developments outside of London, other types of incentives such as rental guarantees. Whilst I'm not trying to suggest that there is definitely something sinister tied with these types of incentives, what I will say is that if an offer seems too good to be true, it would be wise to take a little bit of time to do your due diligence on who the developer is, what are the projects they have done, and a track record on completion. And if you do decide to proceed with the purchase, definitely speak to your solicitor to discuss ways that you can mitigate risk and protect your interests as much as possible. If the developer is genuine and provided your request is reasonable, I believe there should always be room for negotiation. Number 6. Don't be afraid of panel solicitors. Sticking with the topic of new build developments, Developers will often have a selection of solicitors that they will recommend you to instruct, and any incentives offered may be conditional on you using one of their recommended solicitors. These solicitors are known as panel solicitors, and there is a common misconception here that panel solicitors being recommended by the developer act on behalf of the developer and not you. That is not the case. The main reason for the existence of panel solicitors from a developer's point of view is for efficiency. With new build developments, there are a lot of legal documents which needs to be reviewed, especially if the development is a very large scheme, such as those which have popped up all over London in the last four to five years. 
From a legal point of view, being on a developer's panel simply means that these solicitors have been provided with the development legal pack ahead of a project's launch, so that they have more time to undergo their due diligence procedures and raise any inquiries they feel necessary. The rationale is that this should hopefully reduce any delays with subsequent transactions, as the main due diligence work has already been done. It is important to remember that panel solicitors are not the developer solicitors, and if you choose to instruct them, they will act for you alone, and they will be bound by the same SRA requirements to act in your best interest. Whether their level of service will be to your satisfaction is, of course, another matter, but this would also be the same for any other non-panel law firm. Number seven, size does not always correlate to quality of service. There are certain benefits. With going for the bigger firm with the bigger name, but this may not always correlate to better quality of service. Small, medium, and large firms all have their positives and negatives. I think what is more important is to understand and have a reasonable expectation of what you will be getting when choosing a particular firm. If you do not have or do not want to spend a lot of time researching the firm you'll be instructing, then the easiest option will be just to go with the biggest name, or the one that you have heard of most. However, big does not always mean better. For example, residential conveyancing is a rather unique species within the legal sector, in that whilst a fixed fee structure means that it is a fairly consistent source of cash flow for a firm, the legal fees charged are actually very low relative to the amount of work required and the amount of time spent on each file. This means that over a long period of time. A residential conveyancing team will have to work much harder if it is competing against other departments that charge hourly. In order to keep a conveyancing department profitable or competitive compared to other departments, therefore, it's naturally to increase the amount of cases that the department takes on. Unless the general growth of the conveyancing department as a whole is also consistent with the increased workload, there will be a high risk of an inevitable vicious circle developing, which ultimately results in very high work pressures for those within the department. The point I'm trying to make here is that compared to smaller firms, you can be fairly assured that the level of expertise at large firms will never really dip, purely because of a much larger pool of talent at various different levels of experience available to these firms. But what you may find is that there can be dips in quality of service because of an unbalanced workload. On the other hand, with smaller firms, you will need to spend more time doing your due diligence to make sure you're comfortable with the level of expertise on offer. But the trade-off could be consistently good quality of client care. Number eight, requests for the recommended solicitor. This is another potential difference between a larger and smaller firm. Very often, when a recommendation is made by a friend, family member, broker, or agent, the recommendation will not be for a firm as a whole. Before a specific solicitor within that firm who has earned their trust, without wanting to state the obvious here, therefore, what you should want to do is to instruct the specific solicitor that has been recommended to you. Now, if he or she works at a large firm, you may find that this is not always possible. At larger firms, where the team is bigger in size, there will naturally be more hierarchy, more organization, and more departmentalization. If you have been given a specific name. Don't be shy to try and request for your matter to be looked after by that person, because if not, the firm may have procedures in place with regards to allocation of work, which means that your matter will eventually be assigned to a different person who is an unknown entity to you, which would defeat the point of a recommendation. Number nine, your matter will be handled by more than one person. 
This point is more to manage your expectations. Generally, you could expect that during the lifespan of your transaction, you will have to communicate with more than one person on your file. This could be temporary, for example, where your acting solicitor is on leave, or permanent, for example, where the solicitor has left the firm. With a smaller firm, you may find that your experience here is more personal, in a sense that with less people in the department, the number of potential covering solicitors looking after your file will not be as varied. If you prefer to maintain as much consistency as possible, you may want to take this into consideration. Number 10. Trust and communication is key. From my experience, I believe the most common reason for a breakdown in the working relationship between a client and their solicitor is down to issues in communication. Tip number three earlier should hopefully resolve one side of the problem, but of course, communication works both ways. As I mentioned earlier, your solicitor will always act in your best interest, but they can only do so with instructions from you as their client. There have been many times where I have sent my clients multiple emails, particularly on matters with approaching deadlines, and I've had to wait a long time for a response, leaving everything in a panic. What is important to remember is that if you are facing difficulties in relation to your transaction, a lot of the time your solicitor may have a number of different solutions they can offer you. However, if they don't know what the issue is, they can't help. For example, I've had many times where we are ready to exchange contracts and my client will call me in confidence and ask me to get them a slight extension of time so that they can make a decision on some final points. As long as I know this is what my client needs of me, I can communicate with the agent or seller and negotiate for this. If there is a healthy and consistent stream of communication and I was aware of my client's concerns previously, I may have also been able to help resolve this for my client and there would be no need to delay proceedings. However, if I hear nothing from a client entirely, there is nothing I can do for them. As with any form of relationship, trust is vital, and of course, this has to be earned. But if there is no trust, then things will be an uphill struggle. If you should ever find yourself in a situation where you honestly feel you cannot trust your solicitor's advice, or question whether they're acting in your best interest, then this is a major issue and you should consider either requesting a meeting with the supervising partner so any misunderstandings can be resolved and try and amend the relationship going forward, or request for a change of case handler at the firm. If in the worst case scenario this still does not solve the issue, you should consider switching law firms, as once the working relationship has reached this point for whatever reason, it is very hard to recover and not only unpleasant for all involved, but also likely to become more and more toxic. That brings to a close our first episode. Hopefully you have enjoyed listening and have found the hints and tips useful. Next week I will be comparing and explaining the differences between the two types of property title ownership in England and Wales, freehold and leasehold. If you have any questions on this week's episode, or if you have any topics you would like me to address in a future episode, feel free to email me at propertylegal101 at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and hope you have a great week.